You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege we have of studying together this afternoon. I pray that you will be with us and help us to understand uh, the biblical basis for our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday we talked about the sanctuary, and I just wanted to say a little bit about how this sanctuary actually segues into this issue of Christian lifestyle. Um, you remember we talked yesterday about... Um, <laughs> I was doing this all day yesterday, my little brother was like, you were like pointing at imaginary things while you were teaching. <laughs> I'll tell you why I was doing that is because I usually teach with a whiteboard, and I was telling Mark, I'm like, where is your whiteboard? Like, they, they've got the projector, but I don't have this all already set up in my projector. I usually, like, I almost think on the whiteboard. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking when I'm doing this, okay? He said, were you in vision? <laughs> in the sanctuary, you know, these physical pieces, and we kind of walked through that, and we started with the, the uh, altar of burnt offering where there was confession made. And then there was the ministry that happened, the daily in the holy place, which was a ministry of forgiveness. And then there was the yearly service, which was the Day of Atonement, which we're living in the anti-typical Day of Atonement, the cleansing of the sanctuary, and that was where cleansing happened. Remember we talked about 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So um, this is sort of just a little picture of the, of the process. Well, this cleansing part is the part that many Christians do not spend time uh, emphasizing. If I could just get slightly controversial for just a moment, many Seventh-day Adventists are becoming increasingly uncomfortable focusing on this. And there's this uh, big push right now to get rid of the heresy of last generation theology. I don't know if you've heard this. And you'll see books sometimes now about last generation theology. The problem that I have with that, I'm not in agreement with last generation theology as it is taught by those who critique last generation theology. But there are elements of what they are attacking that are not wrong. <laughs> And one of those is that Jesus is preparing, through the cleansing of the sanctuary, He is preparing a people and their characters. He's preparing them in a special way that has not been able to be done previously because the truth that we have is so much beyond what previous generations had. And He is, he is preparing a people for His coming that will, that will meet Him in peace, and that involves a wholehearted commitment and a character that reflects Jesus' character. I mean, we have clear, clear uh, biblical support for that and clear statements in the spirit of prophecy about that. So part of that is clean living, right? I mean, that's part of the cleansing. You know, we talked about how the cleansing of the sanctuary involves more than just cleansing us as God's people. It involves also the bigger issues of the government of God. But, but there isn't a strong element by which God is preparing a people and He is growing a people and developing a people for His coming and that involves growth in lifestyle and character, more and more like Jesus. 
That's what discipleship is all about, right? Discipleship is about becoming like Jesus by spending time with Jesus. And so you can't help but have a purer lifestyle as you spend time with Jesus. So the idea of Christian standards is actually fairly closely connected to the sanctuary because it is bringing us to the point where we're talking not just about our mental assent to a set of beliefs, but is bringing us to the point of our practical life that we live by faith, right? And uh, so I just wanted to make sure you kind of understood. Lifest people view Christian lifestyle issues in different ways, but many people view them as unimportant. And uh, I want to talk about that. Um, in fact, just before we dive in, and maybe I could ask Cameron again, or, or yeah, while he's doing that, I'll do just another shameless plug for this resource we published out of the GC, but we first published it here out of Michigan, and then we just made some minor edits to it. The Discipleship Handbook. Have you ever seen this book? Okay, good. There is a, chap a whole section in this book on Christian lifestyle. The reason for that is because this book is, you know, it's for all Seventh-day Adventist church members, but in a special way it was intended to deeply um, ground and train new Seventh-day Adventists in what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist living at the end of time. So it spends a lot of time on the devotional life. It talks about uh, the role of Ellen White and, and her place in, in our growth and development. It talks about things like family worship and important aspects of just personal growth. Um, but it also talks about lifestyle because so much, many times our new members get confused about that. Do you know one of the reasons that our new members get so confused about Christian lifestyle? It's because our existing members are confused about Christian lifestyle. So we have almost in, in every case, you have a new member, you know, the pastor or an elder or somebody is studying with them. They're sharing with them what the Bible teaches about, about Christian lifestyle. And then they make a decision and then they get around the existing members and they find out that the existing members don't think that. And that creates this problem. So because of that, being a common situation, we made sure we included a whole section about Christian lifestyle to further just ground them that this is a biblical thing. It's about following Jesus, not following the people in the pew. So there is a chapter in here that introduces the Christian lifestyle section called Something Better. This is not the brown book. So yeah, there is a brown book called Spread the Word. This is a different book. It's called the Discipleship Handbook. There is a process, a disciple-making process, if you see this little uh, chart here, or whatever, um, the GROW cycle, where we talk about all the different phases of, of somebody developing into a disciple of Christ. It starts by just building a relationship with someone, and we call that preparing the soil. And there will be resources that will have a blue strip that are currently being written on preparing the soil. Preparing the soil is when you just like minister to people's needs through health ministry. So we have a health ministry handbook that's being developed. Through community outreach. Um, and we have a community outreach guide that's being written. So this is, this is preparing the soil. After that, you need to start planting the seed of truth, sharing literature, sharing the gospel, sharing your testimony. This is the planting, and that's what this is about. It's witnessing. 
Okay, and this is one of the most important in the whole series. After that, you need to cultivate that interest. You've introduced the truth to them now. You need to cultivate it with ongoing Bible studies. So that's cultivating. That's the third phase. After you study with them and they get a good in-depth knowledge of the truth, they need to make a decision. So you need to appeal for decisions. So we, uh, yeah, we have a, a little booklet that is for harvesting that helps them to make decisions preparatory to baptism and church membership. Um, that also happens, a lot of times appeals happen through public evangelism. That's often talked about as harvesting or reaping. So at some point we want to develop a public evangelism handbook uh, that will have a gold strip, but we're not there yet. But then after you're baptized, that harvest needs preserved. You need trained, you need more practical grounding and all those things, and that's what this is for. So. In this, we include this chapter on lifestyle, or this section on lifestyle, and the opening chapter is called Something Better. Does anybody know why it's called Something Better? Yes. She's speaking in, in uh, broader terms than just food, but it certainly includes that. And she's, she's talking about, remember that oftentimes we talk about lifestyle, people feel like what you're doing is taking something away. And so what... Ellen White really is good at emphasizing is that ultimately what God gives in his word is something better. It's not taking away something that's good. God will never take away something that's good. And anytime that he does ask us to leave something off and out of our life, he has something better. Okay, And that is the real positive outlook on lifestyle that we need to have in our own life and that we need to teach when we're talking to other people. But there's a section in here that talks about rules and relationship. There are some people who get confused because they say immediately when we start talking about Christian lifestyle, they think that we're focusing on rules. And who in the Bible do we remember who focused on rules? Pharisees. And boy, if you want to make sure that someone feels like less than a life form, you just call them a Pharisee. And so, oh, you know, I don't want to be labeled a Pharisee, so I suppose I won't talk about these lifestyle things. I mean, that's what happens. People get afraid to talk about them because they don't want to be labeled a Pharisee. Well, the problem that people have is they're, they're totally missing the point. It's not relationship or rules. The reality is, if you really want to mess up a relationship, just make sure there are no rules in it. A truly good relationship will have, and I say rules, but it will have principles. It will have parameters. It will have those things. Um, you know, my wife likes that we have rules in our marriage, such as I can't date, right? Like, that's restricting it's restricting, there's no question, but is it really restricting? It is a parameter. There is a sense in which it is a restriction, but what's the purpose of the restriction is to have a healthier, fuller relationship that is not, that I don't run into complications and destruction and pain, and, right? I mean, that's what's, these parameters are for our good. And so rules and relationship must go Together, let me give you a Bible verse. Open your Bibles to John 15. John 15 and verse 10. He says, If you keep my commandments, 
you will what? Abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I like this text. Uh, of course, there's John 14, 15. You're not far from that. So what's John 14, 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. We usually quote that one, and for good reason. It's really, it really helps us understand the motive for obedience, the motive for practical Christian living of any kind, uh, to follow Christ as Lord of my life. The reason I do that is because I love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. But I find John 15, 10 especially interesting. If you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide in my love. What's the inference? What is that implying? What if I don't keep his commandments? I will not abide in his love. Well, you might say, oh, that sounds pagan. Well, before you say that, just remember, that was Jesus talking. But some people feel, oh, so we have to keep his commandments in order for him to love us. No, that's not what he said. He said uh, that if we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. You see, if you have a loving relationship with somebody, that, uh, let me say it a little bit differently. You can love somebody without having a loving relationship with somebody. Like, let's say you have a son who is rebellious. You love him, but it's not. There's no harmony there. There's no joy there. So you love him, but he's not abiding in your love. You follow that? Because only when he's abiding in your love can there be the benefits of that loving relationship and the warmth of that loving relationship. Well, that's the point. Rules, commandments, principles, lifestyle helps us to abide in the love of God. It helps us to be in harmony with God, to be on the same page with our Savior. Uh, ultimately, it's as we submit our behavior to His will as Lord of our life that we can have confidence and peace with God. So, so yes, there is a, a close tie between rules and relationship. Now, the other question that I want to just address right here from the start is some people say, well, why should we even talk about what you eat, what you wear, uh, what you watch, whatever? Are those really, what's the term that we would often use? Are those really salvation issues? Are those really salvation issues? It's true, it's not about do's and don'ts. For our benefit, though, there are some do's and don'ts. And I think that one of the things I would say about this idea of salvation issue, um, what we're really saying when we say, is this a salvation issue, is, is it okay if I just don't do this one thing? Will this one thing keep me out of heaven? That's really what we're saying. That's not a salvation issue. means if I don't have a problem with this, and I decide to do it anyway, then is that big enough of an issue to keep me out of heaven? The problem is not um, you know, whether or not it's a salvation issue. It's the question that we're asking. The question belies a problem, doesn't it? Because the question itself is sort of saying, how little do I have to do in order to enter the kingdom of God? You know, instead of recognizing that anything the question should not be, is it a salvation issue? The question should be, is it the will of God? Because if it's the will of God, what do we know? It's for our good, right? We, it's for our good, if it's the will of God. 
Now, of course, we don't want to get someone confused thinking that any, uh, anything less than the absolute ideal is, you know, something that, that is going to put their salvation in jeopardy, and so they walk around on pins and needles all the time. There are some people who do that. They, you know, are very scrupulous. That's not the message of Scripture. That's not, that's not the point. But there are very clear teachings of Scripture that if we don't abide by them, we're going to feel a sense of guilt and separation from God. And they can put our salvation in jeopardy. Because the issue here is whether or not we are one with God. The issue here is whether or not we are in harmony with the will of God. So, rather than trying to figure out if something is big enough or not big enough of an issue, I mean, if we really try to do that, we could get into trouble, couldn't we? Because, remember, Adam and Eve may have, may have if they kind of thought that way, what would have happened? Like, oh, it's just a piece of fruit. I mean, I mean, you're supposed to eat fruit, right? Fruit's good for you. It's not, that's not, I mean, if, if fruit is, a, is the worst vice you have, then hey, you're doing okay. The issue was not the piece of fruit, right? What was the issue? That God had clearly commanded it, right? Can you think of any other example? Yeah, Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? What was the issue there? The offering. What did, what did Cain offer? From the fruit of the ground, right? It was. It certainly was. They, they, they didn't trust in the goodness of God for them. Yeah, certainly. But, but the reason that we know they didn't trust Him was because He commanded them to do something and they did something different. So, so ultimately, though, the point is that if we get into this pattern of saying, is it important or not, the Bible does not tell us that we have the authority to determine if something is important to God or not. You know, if He commands it, it's not up to us to say, well, I don't think that's important, you know. Now, we can know the weight of something to some degree by the weight of the counsel we have, right? Um, you do know that there are some sins that are weightier than others. Uh, Ellen White's very clear about that, but the Bible is clear about that. Remember, Jesus said that there are weightier matters of the law. But when He said that, He said, you know, you neglect... Uh, tithe and anise and cumin, you neglect the weightier matters of the law. These you ought to have done, that is the weightier matters, justice and mercy and faith, and not to have left the others undone. So he wasn't saying you shouldn't do the not weighty matters, but he was saying that there are some matters that are weightier than others. I mean, some people, you know, we'll talk about uh, as we get into this study, about different types of health issues that we think are very critical today, and one that is very unpopular amongst most Christians is caffeinated beverages. But for somebody to try to put caffeinated beverages in the same category as, as alcohol is not wise. There, there are some aspects about it that are equivalent, but, but in general, it's not on the same level. And I think that there is a sense in which we need to recognize that or else we can make people feel like, uh, like they have to 
be concerned with the most minor of elements as much as the, ma the major elements, and that can get them confused. So I do think it's important to know there are weightier matters. But there is nothing that we can say is just, you know, no problem with us discarding. God doesn't care if we do it or not. You know, even though He's made it plain over and over, it doesn't matter. That's, that's a prerogative He has not given us. He didn't give it to, to Cain. Cain was not, you know, it didn't work out for him. Even though that, you would say, was not an, a moral issue. It was not a salvation issue, right? He just brought fruit of the ground. But it was. Apparently, because it was plainly commanded and it was very clear. You could look at Nadab and Abihu, right? With a strange fire in the temple, in the sanctuary service. That, that was, I mean, really a moral issue? Well, it was apparently pretty important. So we can't, of ourselves, try to determine what's important or not. So let's not get into that. Let's just study to know what the Bible teaches and what's the will of God, and that will guide us. And we can know that God has our best interest in mind. So I just want to talk about that in terms of salvation issues for a minute. Now, one thing that happened up here, Cameron, that didn't help me. The studies are gone and I don't have them. Okay, I'm going to go for about 10 more minutes and then we're going to take a break. Is that okay? Okay, what I want to do is we're going to kind of walk through these lessons. We're going to hit the, the points that are probably the most challenging for people so that you kind of in your own mind can have a certain level of comfort or have whatever questions you may have answered. And you'll notice there's three different topics here. One is on healthy living, one is on Christian lifestyle, and one is on Christian dress. And uh, Christian lifestyle is somewhat general, but it does speak about things that are not in the other two. So let's talk about health first, and we'll kind of uh, dive into this. The foundational aspects of health, I think you understand that uh, our message as a church, uh, the three angels' messages, has this first angel that says, fear God and do what? Give glory to Him. Now, who is going to turn for me to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31? Somebody will read that for us. I would greatly appreciate it. When you get there, tell me you have... have you, oh, you're going to quote it? Well, you're not allowed. You have to turn there in your Bible. No, I'm sorry. You can go ahead and quote it. Okay, say it a little louder. Okay. Did everybody hear him? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And we're now following right here, and it's the first, it's the first question. It's the second text on the first question. Uh, C-O stands for Corinthians. Yeah, yeah. my brother likes to use two-letter abbreviations. Okay, so the idea that this is connecting is that that whatever we do, we are to give glory to God, including things such as eating and drinking. Now, we could quickly look at another passage in Romans that says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. You read that, where the Apostle Paul talks about that? So we have to kind of get our heads straight. The, the health message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ellen White says it's the right arm of the gospel. It's the right arm of our message. But she says, be clear, it's not the body. It's the right arm, okay? It's the entering wedge. But we have to be careful not to make our message a matter of eating and drinking. That's not the fundamental aspect of our message. But Paul helps us to balance that out by telling us in 1 Corinthians 10.31 that we should eat and drink to the glory of God and that that is important. Um, by the way, the whole idea of giving glory to God um, 
You know, Revelation 14, 7. Uh, where, where do you think that's drawn from? You know that, that about oh, a considerable portion of the book of Revelation are allusions from the Old Testament. Can you think of any place that this uh, Revelation 14, 7, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come, where that is drawn from in the Old Testament? Yes. Uh, Ecclesiastes. I'll go ahead and take a peek there. Right after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last two verses. You'll remember it as soon as we start to read it. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Remember, how does the first angel start? Fear God. What's the second part of the first angel? Give glory to Him. What's the second part of this? Fear God and keep His commandments. That's interesting, isn't it? It helps us to know when we compare those texts that when he says give glory to God, that we do that by submitting to his will as expressed in his commandments. Then it says, for this is man's all, for God will bring every work into judgment. Remember Revelation 14, 7? Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. So this is just drawn from Ecclesiastes. But the point is that giving glory to God has to do with submitting to Him as Lord of our life. So right in the beginning of the three angels' messages is this call to submit to the will of God, which is why Christian lifestyle, while maybe we wouldn't equate it to the Sabbath commandment or what have you, is still very important. It's, it's a natural part of being a child of God and choosing to submit to Jesus as the Master and Lord of our life. So let's look at the second one on this question. It says, is there a connection between our spiritual life and our bodies? Now, the text that you can look at both Romans 12 and 3 John, but I'm just going to look at 3 John. This is the text that I usually use when in a Bible study. 3 John and the second verse. Somebody have it? Who wants to read it? All right. So, what do we learn from this text? How, why are we sharing this text in a Bible study? What's it telling? What is it saying? What are we trying to the point we're trying to make? Okay, so, we, so people know that God wants us to be morally right and in heaven and not sin, right? But what people are not always aware of is that the Bible actually says that God wants our uh, body, our health to prosper. Okay? So this helps bring that point home from a scriptural standpoint that it's not just about um, you know, whether or not we lie, kill, or steal, but God cares. He has an interest in our physical health. It also helps you to see that there's an intimate connection between them, right? Because notice the language of it. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So there's what appears to be uh, a, a relationship between your physical health and your spiritual health. So, um, chapter, or I'm, I'm sorry, number three uh, says, what does, the Bible, or what does the Bible say dwells in our physical bodies? And you know this text. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17? What is it that dwells in our bodies? Say it a little louder. The Holy Spirit. That's right. So the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, to be clear, if you look in, there are a couple of places where the Apostle Paul says this. In one of them, uh, 
One of these cases, it's very clearly, and I'm, I need to check and see if this is 1 Corinthians 3, uh, speaking about sexual immorality. Um, I just have this thing about being careful not to use text totally out of context to what they're talking about. And there are a lot of Bible studies that do that, I hate to tell you. <laughs> um, one of the most grievous, well, I'm not going to start saying names, but you can pretty much look to most Bible study series and you'll see them using a text to say something that is not exactly what the text was saying okay, in the context. So um, that's why I just was looking this up because this is the better text, I believe, to, uh, to be speaking about our physical health. Even though the other one could be used, this one is better. So the idea is that the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. Now this is, this is the thing. Seventh-day Adventists do not believe uh, in like the Greek dualism idea. You understand that most Christians believe that our bodies are a shell for our soul, right? And that, and that when we die, the thinking part of us, you know, still lives on, whether it goes to heaven or hell. And that, without them even knowing it, that subconsciously does something to their view of the importance of the body and health. It diminishes it. Because if you can have your clarity of thought and, and your, your, the thinking part of you is this, this immaterial soul and your body is just housing this, then you don't see the same importance of keeping the body running smoothly. You know, I always talk to them when, when we're talking about this idea of this soul, this thinking part of it. I say, so which, which is the thinking part of you? And they'll say, oh, well, that's, that's your soul. And I say, and that's not, you know, connected with the body. No, no. I say, well, how come when I hit somebody over the head with a baseball bat, they stop thinking clearly? <laughs> I mean, your body is intimately connected with your thinking process. You're, you're, you, you are your body and the, and the breath of God, okay? So we understand that, and, and as you're given a Bible study, you want to help them to understand this close relationship that the Bible gives between our body and our thinking. Because if the Holy Spirit is going to reach us, then we need to be able to think clearly. That's how He reaches us, is through our minds. And, uh, you know, you know how it is. When you have the flu or a bad, bad cold or something, how much do you feel like getting up and praying? You know, you'd rather just say, pray for me. I mean, you're just exhausted. Your, your head is foggy. You're not, you're not clear. Well, if you don't keep your body healthy, do you know that to some limited degree you always are a little unclear? Like if you're not getting plenty of oxygen, you're not getting plenty of exercise, you are not eating well, that, that you are kind of like, now you're not sick, but you are a little sick. Because <laughs> your energy is depleted, your mind is not as clear. So people need to understand, this is connected. We're talking about your spiritual life, and yet your physical health is, is in, integral to your spiritual life. Okay. We're going to dive into the big topics of substances, alcohol, tobacco, even caffeine, and, uh, and talk about that when we come back from the break. But let's take a 10-minute break after this prayer. 
Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to talk about this sensitive but very important issue of Christian lifestyle. We know, Lord, that our salvation is grounded in the sacrifice of Jesus for each one of us. We know, too, Lord, that, that we don't need to do anything to earn your love or your salvation. But, Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be in harmony with your will. We want to be in harmony with that which you've told us is for our good. So please give us wisdom and help and give us persuasiveness to understand the Scripture in a way that will be attractive to people so that they'll receive these truths in a way that will be positive. Bless us now as we take this short break and the rest of our time together with you this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.